Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Nucleus Investment Insights. We're only a few days into the 2022 Australian federal election campaign, but already there's plenty to talk about. Unfortunately, media seems to be focusing more on what the candidates don't know, from ScoMo's lack of knowledge of a payout to a minister's former staffer, to Elbow's lack of knowledge of key economic statistics, there's not a lot being said about what their policies are and what really separates them. So today we're going to have a look at the impact these policies could have on the investment outlook. On the agenda, we'll take a look at the history of how we got to this current point in Australian economics and what that means for this election, the policy platforms of the major parties, the soft side of economics, tax arbitrage, and of course the investment outlook of all this. My name's Shelley George and I'm Chief Operating Officer at Nucleus Wealth, coming to you today from the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And today we're lucky to be joined by none other than our Chief Investment Officer, Damien Klassen. Damien, thank you for having me today. Yeah, thanks, Shelley. And, and, you know, good wishes to Sam, who's uh, sitting by a beach, I'm hopefully, a at this moment. Break. And uh, yeah. yeah, again, mm-hmm. yeah, weekend. All right, so some housekeeping before we kick off. Just a quick reminder um, that if you enjoy our content, please subscribe to our YouTube channel and click the bell below to be notified when we go live or have a new episode recorded. Uh, Alternatively, follow us on your preferred podcast platform. Our show is available on all the majors. And for those of you listening live, feel free to drop in questions in the YouTube live stream chat and we'll do our best to answer them during the show. So now that we've got that out of the way, uh, Damien, let me hand over to you. Yeah, so what I wanted to do before I get into the the impacts, I want to take a take a step back and actually just look at the sort of twenty years before um, the latest uh, before sort of ScoMo's latest election win, and just sort of look at uh, what the investment landscape really looked like over that period, and what were the really big policy um, drivers? Because I think that really, for me, very much shapes um, the outlook and, and how you should be looking at at, at um, uh, I guess from an investor's perspective and, and very much this sort of top-down view about what does it mean. So a, a sort of longish presentation um, that I want to sort of jump into, uh, sort of talking about Australia up till 2019. And, you know, I guess 28 years or something like that, years, it actually reached, Having said that, you know, I've got I've got two graphs here. One sort of show that sort of no recessions such a long period. Sorry, real household disposable income per capita, and basically that we had seven years of of real disposable incomes going nowhere, and so it basically you know that there was a, a sort of driver in the um, in the earlier stages in the in the eighties and nineties of a lot of productivity reform. Um, in the early stages of the Howard years, you had um, GST put through, and so uh, this real focus on productivity. Post that, um, you know, there was a the right of this the, the mining boom, but but I guess one of the one of the key messages was that on a, on a per capita incomes were going nowhere for a very long period of time. Um, you know, seven years is 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 an age in economics for for it not to uh, not to get growth. And if you if you look at the um, how that sits versus the uh, the world i've just got one up here showing oecd companies uh and australia bottom all the only one with negative growth every other country is above zero and and um you know the, uh, 2019 uh so you know australia was was very much an outlier in terms of what it was doing it wasn't just it wasn't just that there was a, a poor economic environment and so um you know, the, the question is, you know, how does this come to be? Because we, what we hear or what we heard certainly in, in the run up to the, to the last election was what a great job um, everyone was doing and how, and how fantastic uh, the economy was. And uh, a lot of that all to the, the the question about the denominator that the number of people. So one, I've got a uh, chart um, that I wanted to show in terms of population change. What seven um period to the world went into a financial crisis and one negative quarter one of the key things that really saved australia's gdp from 
that time was massive increase in the number of people. So it went from, um, you know, immigration of close to 120,000 or, or, you know, the average over, over the prior period was, I think, even below 100,000. Um, and then at a point there, um, you know, uh, 300,000 people in, in a year. So you just had this massive influx of people. Um, when people come in and they spend money and they, they buy houses and they do all these other things, it's very good for GDP, the total size of the pie, but everyone was getting less as, as this sort of uh, massive amount of people came through. So, so that was one thing that sort of saved Australia from inflation. The next part, though, was that um, there was another push later on the, um, in that decade, uh, and, and um, under under the Liberal government, um, to, to re-get that again, keep pushing through uh, numbers of immigration. Sort of calling that, sort of padding stats in terms of you saying, you know, you could keep talking about what a great GDP growth, but ignoring the fact that that individuals in the economy were going. So, so why do they and love so, immigration so much, Damien? Sorry to cut you off there. Yeah, no, no, that's fine. Um, so immigration, um, you love it for a couple of reasons. One is you know, the donors love companies uh, can't get enough of it, and so you know whether it be uh, your banks, uh, Harvey Normans, you know all your supermarkets, people like if you've got, um, a supermarket in a in a in a region and you've you throw in twenty percent into the same region, then that that increases the value of the, the supermarket you've got there with you've got more customers. Or uh, or if you're Harvey Norman seeing furniture uh, and equipment every time some builders generally want to fill it with furniture and so um, you know you've got more people coming in means you get to sell more and so uh, yeah incumbent players um, really benefit from it they go and to, uh, make donations and then and you know get the ear of the politicians. Perspective and, on and... this as well, in terms of um, it, it adds a little bit of demand to the housing market, which at least it keeps your property prices uh, above where they would be without the immigration. And as a voter who owns a prop, if you own a property, you're not going to be unhappy about that. Yeah, and look, the the best possible. Um, you know, we spoke before we the some of these property uh, podcasts a few weeks ago. You know, the best possible outlook for uh, an Australian property owner is that basically you have a a weak economy. Um, the central isn't raising interest rates or even lowering interest rates, but it's not so weak that companies start going bust and you start getting um you know you start going into recession and things like. That. And that was probably the. Uh, you know, was it if growth down so it sounds like what we've had over the last yeah. seven years you know like, like you said there's uh not really been any wages growth um uh, but uh it's it's uh kept rates low and um property prices doing all right yeah booming absolutely and that, that is yeah so if you're if you uh want high property price then then we're perfect for you if you want high wages growth um uh, it's exactly the wrong environment for it because you, you know, you're here throwing more and more people in, and especially um, a lot of the a lot of the immigration students um, uh, who are for at, at the very bottom of the rung, and a lot of them need to get work in order to uh, in order to cases and in order to stay here. And what that means is that employers can keep their wages low. And so if you've got you know that that setup where you have a, an extraordinary amount of people coming in. Um, those people are, are predisposed to, to a lot of them are predisposed to to lower wages. Then you can keep the wages down for one. And so, um, yeah, it's basically yeah, wages. Lots of people um, get your property prices going because you can't. Got you it. Can't. All right. Uh, I think I need to check this uh, Ethernet cable while you talk about the next um, next slide, perhaps. Yeah, sure. Um, so the other major factor that saved Australia from recession, the financial, uh, pre the financial crisis, or sorry, just after the financial crisis, the spending in terms of mining capex. So we had this massive boom um, coming through from China. So China had been um, for the for the ten years um, before that had been uh, increasingly importing more and more uh, uh, in terms of commodities. They went from being say a net exporter of coal. So they used to one of Australia's big competitors in terms of um, pushing coal out into the world, being a net port. 
paper so that they started to take Australia's coal. So, so there's a huge flip around in terms of that. And, and that sort of built up right throughout the early 2000s. As that built up through that through the early 2000s, the, uh, because there'd been such a, a long mining um, depression where where mining you know had, had just sort of prices just sort of ground lower and lower and lower no one had to go and put new mines and spend more and it wasn't until sort of the, later on in the decade where people were actually hey this thing's this thing's here prices are sky high this is lasting for a lot longer and, and there was this huge rush to get out and and um and build more and so um as a percentage of australia's gdp mining capex went from about one percent which is sort of its you know, it's the lower level of that seems to keep coming back to. Um, yeah, so one one project alone, which was the Gorgon um, in in WA, that was uh, about a five percent of Australian GDP. So not didn't come through in one year. Um, it sort of was you know stretched out over a number of time. But it's but it, the incredible size of um, uh, the incredible size of these projects, um, you know, just sort of dwarfed the rest of the Australian economy and really sort of drove through um, through that. So. Uh, so, so the first thing we spoke about there, the the um, bringing lots of people through, that was a lot of um, certainly during the after the financial crisis was in response to there'd been a financial crisis everywhere, uh, unemployment was was really high right around the world, and Australia had this mining boom going on, so a lot of people sort of coming into Australia to to, to job. Um, I mean, in terms of the uh, the mining capex. Again, that what that sort of wasn't a government policy decision to spend lots of money on terms of um, capex. That was really more about um, you know companies deciding that they're going to they're going to spend it. Uh, there was a sort of tax regime put in place, um, which helped the um, a lot of the oil and gas um, projects get up and running. So Australia had a uh, petrol or has still a petroleum rent um, resources tax. And uh, that was so, so, you know, arguably that was government policy that, that helped there and, and both um, parties were involved in that. Um, and, and why I'm sort of giving uh, apportioning credit to both parties is because possibly one of the worst tax um, things I've ever seen in terms of resources tax, uh, you know, with Qatar for in terms of how much we export in terms of uh, and Qatar gets about 20 billion in and about one so uh you know the the, the companies were, were you know chevron exxon bp all these guys were very much involved in helping shape that um the lobby's one stage there. absolutely so what, and no one talked about it um, because why is, does it help projects get up is it less than what they would otherwise been paying if the yeah, pr they would have paid a lot more. so but in australia yeah. did they get rid of existing taxes to bring this in uh, yes, you know, what they did, and and the the tax was very much structured as being um, the higher prices are, the more uh, the more companies pay. So it's like a super super uh, a super tax in terms of the amount. Yeah, when when then the companies okay. pay more, when prices are low, they don't pay much. But so what? How does that and, factor into Australian gas prices? Because obviously that's uh, it's been topical for a while. Uh, does, does it assume yeah. that the Australian market is separate from the international market that they're selling these at, or? Uh, uh, well, uh, the ones in the WA, these are the ones in WA. Yes, there was there's domestic relation, and it was and and so um, there's there's lots of gas going out, and I will get to the gas because that, that that's a pretty key one as well. But but I guess what um, uh, again I'm getting to on this one is the companies there as well have. Uh, Roughly twenty percent of GDP still in tax losses. So you know, you take this the total the Australian GDP, and you carve out one fifth of it, and that's how much money um, these a lot of these companies have uh, sitting in tax losses. So that's you know they're going to make that much money before they actually ever pay tax on in terms of this. So wow, that's um, huge. It was a uh, yeah. So, so pies, you know, it depends on what you want. If you just wanted to build these things, then then a great policy in terms of building them. Uh, in terms of Companies, Australian citizens, sort of benefiting from it in terms of tax revenue and things like that. Um, there's actually very little in terms of that. So, and um, and because that they all came at once as well, um, that meant that then um, the Aussie dollar, um, and we'll move on to you know what that did to the manufacturing sector in, in a minute. Um, you know, post that. 
Okay, so so we had this resources boom, and then that faded off, as you saw, uh, you know, in, in the in the early two thousand and tens, and uh, what the RBA was left with was this falling falling demand from from that whole resources side, and so what they did was they lowered rates a lot, and we've actually created ourselves a housing boom to follow the resources boom. Um, so yeah, should have had this people boom, then resources boom, and then um, then, then we're on to a putting boom by by lowering interest rates. And um, so, what have we got uh, left to boom? Yeah, there was we it was telling this. Uh, nobody, nobody really knows, which is why, which is why we've sort of been struggling. And and you're looking at both, uh, you know, uh, politics without a a major sort of um, productivity changes or major policy changes in terms of what what they're out to chase. So so basically, I think the whole thing at the moment is is just trying to hold hold the whole thing together again. We just want don't, we don't want it to fall apart on our watch. So you know, if we can just keep holding house prices where they are and and not let interest rates rise too much and and um yeah just yeah keep it keep it keep it going as it is i think is, is roughly the the plan um, the other thing we did do as well we get quickly so get that housing price uh had to increase debt and so i've got a uh a chart there of just showing australian debt um relative to uh the rest of the world and so uh yeah well above japan united states we're a little above any of the sort of major economies, and and second only to Switzerland, which you know arguably has got some some issues in terms of the way they account for their their debts, and um, which you know I'd like to think we're number one, you know, from a from at least from you know there. So sorry, can I just confirm the chart? So, Is it household debt loans and debt securities? No, it's a. Uh, it's the, yeah, okay. That's oh, sorry, sorry. sorry. We're coming back to yes. it. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. So, the Australian economy. Um, okay. So, next then was um, uh, what does that mean for us? You know, so, so, we've got all these, all these things going on. But what does it mean for the rest of the economy? So, uh, so Australia banking economic complexity was slightly below Uganda and Senegal them down and, and the good news is we've we've managed to we've managed to take them over we're, we're, we've left them in the dust and we're we're up to about you know we're at the mid mid 70s now and you know, it starts next list to uh to, to, to sort of take over so the, the message is that we haven't economy digging stuff out of the ground um and and then trading using that money to 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 uh to to, to flip houses to each other you know, we've spoken about you know on on a number of cases. You know that, that the houses and holes economy. So um, there's a and, and there's a bit of a common thread sort of leading between um, all these issues. And and the common thread is is, is largely that um, you know the things I was speaking about. Governments have a chance to push on them, but we haven't generally. We've sort of let the whole thing slide and just gone, well, we're, we're, we're a small open economy and we'll just see what happens with the rest of the world and, and not really try and push back and, and try and get policy um, to drop things. So so we've got this un, this this economy that's not very complex. Um, there's another chart. New sectors have been decimated. Was the fact that um, as all this boom going on, um, that's when the Aussie dollar got so high. Rather than doing what the, um, Norway did, where they took the, the, the proceeds of that mining boom and and stored them off, and then back when they do, what we uh, the policy and you know, policy was given tax cuts, sort of drove the economy even faster. Um, wages going, got interest rates higher, and so that was sort of the we've hauled out one part of the the the, the manufacturing part um, for what is probably a, a trend, um, you know, sort of boom, or certainly was a transient boom in terms of the uh, the commodity we've seen recently. But you know, the question is, we volumes rise, and so yeah, that's um, so gas that was what. That was what helped drive that that commodity boom away. So with gas, I've got a uh, the Sydney price uh, going from sort of um, 
over ten dollars. Uh, at the same time, has has basically been half um, gas has has been. So, and I spoke about this whole you know team effort between both Labor and Liberals to 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 give this um, uh, resource rent tax uh, up and running. It was also a team effort for them um, in terms of getting the uh, in terms of not having um, domestic gas reservation. So pretty much every other country that puts in that, that has large um, uh, sources of, of, of uh, energy and gas, they have some sort of domestic reservation. So they basically say, well, we want cheap energy for our, our citizens first, and then once um, that's been satisfied, then we can um, we can export whatever's left over to us. Yeah. So yeah. So the US, for example, doesn't. Um, uh, for years, banned the exports of gas and, and, and oil from, um, and I've only just lifted those. Uh, Western Australia put in a, a gas reservation policy um, where you know gas needed to be delivered locally first, a, a certain amount needed to be reserved for local use, and then the rest could be exported. And their their gas price is about half of what you see on the east coast. Um, the problem we had in the east coast is that uh, the companies convinced the government that um, this wasn't necessary. You know. Gas reservation. We've got so much gas; it doesn't matter. Um, you know, it will always have plenty, and and so you don't have to worry about reserving it. And so they didn't. And um, lo and behold, uh, the companies weren't telling the whole truth. And and so yes, so east coast of Australia is facing gas prices that are sort of well triple what they used to be, and um, or, or, or more, and, and you know more than double what we they, what we see in WA. And so that meant that again that whole um, uh, you know, anyone doing uh, the things like fertilizers or, or companies um, sort of relying on gas, manufacturing companies relying on gas as an input, um, were then went from you know being a, Australia being an, an attractive place to, to to build these plants to being a very unattractive place. And so that sort of also helped to um, sort of hollow out the, the whole mining sector. So you know, we, we see a lot of um, both sides of politics turning up at um, in in high vis and, and hard hats. And um, going to all these manufacturing places, um, you know, both both sides have been pretty pretty instrumental in terms of hollowing out that whole um, that whole sector. But but that neither side wants to talk about it because um, yeah, they're both involved, and and so um, you know, it's a broad policy. Better if uh, you just nobody mentions it. Um, the other one we had was international students, uh, and we spoke a little bit about the whole immigration side, but. Um, you know, Australia, in terms of the amount of international students, is just head and shoulders uh, per capita is just head and shoulders above any other country. Um, so a whole, um, you know, and, and I guess there's a, there's a number of different arguments. We had um, Salvatore Babones on a couple of weeks ago. Um, you're talking about this. He's, he's written a book about the whole uh, the whole structure. Um, but you know, I guess the general story is uh, it looks a lot like a a backdoor into um, citizenship rather than the genuine, um, you know, export industry as, as it like uh, as it often li likes to get um, uh, coined as. And the issue for a lot of people, uh, especially a lot of the um, uh, the non-Chinese students, is they tend to come out here and and work for the uh, you know and work and help try to pay off the degree as as they go. And so uh, a lot of what they do gets classed as an export, but um, it's pretty hard to understand how you know an, an international student who comes here and pays for the pays for the the um, you know housing and accommodation and 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 the studies with the money that they're earning while they're working here. It's pretty hard how to see that how to, how to see how to see that as an export. Um, you know, it's a so there's sort of a, a, a fair amount of questions about how how things get measured within that. So okay, so this is our this is our history up to two thousand and nineteen. So um, before we move on, can I actually ask you um, a question about each of the, the topics we've just looked at? Which is, um, it feels a lot to me like this is obviously just my uh, my thoughts, but uh, a lot of the situations we're in that you've talked to have felt more like um, you know a boiling frog scenario as opposed to um, you know. Uh, the, uh, one party or, or both parties decided that we specifically wanted to get to this outcome. Um, mm. it, it, for each of them, immigration, resources, housing, manufacturing, gas, and international students, can you give us a comment on whether you think that this the the, the are policy are they passengers or drivers? Is that what yeah. you're asking? Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> I think I think we've got a lot of passengers. Yeah, I think we've got a lot of passengers who are basically um, reacting. They're, they're, there's no 
there's no plan to do any of this. I mean, the plans um, for the last 10 years, you know, you've, you've heard, um, I'm trying to remember what, uh, I'm sure, I'm sure Abbott had a three word one for innovation about how much, you know, how we're going to do all this stuff for manufacturing and, and Turnbull certainly did. And, and Morrison has as well um, about this whole thing. We're going to turn around the whole innovation. We've got all this innovation economy and we're going to drive it all. And, um, it, you know, there's some pretty impressive um, slogans and some impressive, uh, you know, artwork on, on the announcements, but there's no actual genuine policy to try and drive that. It's basically saying, well, if that happens, um, we'll certainly claim credit for it because um, we want it to happen, but you know, there's no real, there's certainly been no genuine structural push to, to, to help any of that go along. So and, it's like and when a company says they're going for growth, but they don't outline any plan that they have to achieve that. Yeah, that's right. So if, they, if, they, if their sector happens to grow, the sector they're in happens to grow and they do well, um, the, the management will certainly claim responsibility for it and say it was our brilliant strategy. But, um, but you know, these, these aren't, yeah, it's not like they've said identified here's another sector we want to move into that's a growth sector we're going to you know we're going to structure things to make sure that that's that's where we grow and and we'll benefit from it yeah so uh, i've very much described that there i mean the only one you could you could describe as as a, uh, as um I, I think the gas boom you could certainly describe that as a, a policy led uh it was in 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 maybe a third of it. I mean, the, the fact we'd found the gas and it was there and it was it was relatively accessible and all those types of things was was the bigger issue. I mean, so you needed that you needed that first. You know, the final third of that though, um, the fact that we gave such a generous tax uh, incentive to all these companies to to get out and develop it. I mean, that was um, yeah. That, was... that one feels like an own goal anyway. It does. It was, at the, it was at the same time that uh, all the iron ore was booming and everything else, and so you know it was just yeah. It all happened at once, yeah. All right. So, Thank so you. Yes. It's, it's, um, but I think, uh, yeah, so, so I've got a bit of a summary of it here. So, you know, lots of reforms in the 80s and the 90s, um, GST reform in the early 2000s. Uh, then the later 2000s was and the mid-2000s was all about um, spending that Chinese boom in terms of middle-class tax cuts and, and hollowing out our manufacturing sector. Um, we moved into a, a people boom. Then we moved on to a resources capex boom. And then we're back to the people and, and, and a housing boom by lowering interest rates. And then um, yeah, that sort of brought us to, to up to 2019. You know, pretty much for most of this, uh, we've had the pandemic on, obviously, but it's been all about spending and propping up the economy. But, you know, I, I would largely say that both um, government, both policies at the moment is is just don't let the bubbles pop. You know, just try and keep things going and, and until let, let me get my, through my, my turn of government. And then, um, you know, if things if things need to be fixed, then then hopefully that'll be somebody else's problem. So maybe so, we need to make the terms longer. <laughs> Probably maybe, <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe we need to pay them more. I don't know. What, anyway, yeah, I'm not. I'm, that's a we could spend a whole podcast. We could spend the rest of our life talking about how to how to fix things. But I guess now now let's get to what are, what are our policy pol um, platforms from both sides of the government at the moment. So on, on I've broken it up into a number of different categories. One is the sort of debt government spending. Um, there's really not a lot of difference between the two. Um, there's there's lots of debt out there. The debt is uh, they, they're winding back a little bit in terms of government spending, but but not much. Um, yeah, so there's not a there's not a lot of real difference there. Um, both are looking at a, a review into the RBA, so again, no real difference. Um, in terms of foreign affairs, I think you'd probably find Labor would be slightly more China friendly, but uh, it's really not a lot of difference again. Um, there's we're splitting hairs in terms of it. It's it's pretty much the same, um, you know, the same uh, outward facing. Uh, I guess uh, staying close with the US, uh, you know, Europe, and, and and the UK, and then and sort of starting to uh, diverge from 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 other countries. Uh, in terms of health. Uh, aged care, education. Look, there's definitely different spending within those, um, and that, you know, there's a sort of pitch about: is it all about TAFE or is it all about apprenticeships and, and things like that? But um, you know, it's it's shuffling deck chairs. Uh, there's really not, there's no reform of that, um, or no meaningful reform, and um, and so really, it's just a matter of which flavour. You know, do you, do you prefer chocolate or vanilla? You know, it's you're getting something pretty, very similar, but um, you, you're still getting ice cream either way. Um, we can't be unhappy about that, can you? No, but uh, I think there's. Um, I think. Well there. Yeah, well, I guess. I guess uh, I'd like to think there's there's scope for reform within within a lot of these. I think we've had, um, you know, 
probably at least a decade, a decade and a half, probably of, of very limited reform in terms of the, uh, in terms of it. It's just things have just been allowed to build up, and so I think there's a you know there's certainly scope to um, you know I won't go too much into policies, individual policies, but there's certainly scope for for reform within each one of those categories that that would help drive some productivity elsewhere. Um, Within child, yeah, so the next one, childcare, um, not a lot of real difference. I mean, Labor's certainly char targeting lower earners, um, whereas uh, the Libs are, are trying to uh, give more to higher earners. But, um, yeah, both are, there's some support for childcare from, from both. Uh, tax reform, there's very little tax reform. Um, uh, you know, any, any tax reform that's been floated in the last, you know, so, so basically in the, in the last three years has been shut down almost immediately. The, um, I got scared off the last election, Labor Party. Absolutely, Probably Labor scared Party. The Liberal Party too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Our Labor Party went with a, a an ambitious, um, you know, uh, slate of, of tax reforms and 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 lost the, you know, the, the miracle election. And so, um, uh, yeah, that just means nobody's nobody's going to nobody's got any any um, interest in tax reform. Uh, immigration again. There's there's slight differences between how they're doing it and how it's termed, but both parties um, uh, want to reboot that immigration, and and that's sort of the, the the net effect of that is is keeping wages low. Um, if the immigration comes, that's a, that's my only disclaimer. There is um, uh, to date, it hasn't really come, and there is a potential that it might not come for for some time. But um, but both have yeah both have ambitions there. Um, inequality. So you know, we speak a lot about inequality um, on in terms of our investment outlook. In terms of when we see a drift towards uh, less uh, less inequality and more uh, more stable, more uh, sorry, a, a flatter earnings, then what you'll see is is greater demand. So one of the things we covering that whole 2010 to 2020 period was that we had we had this really weak demand, which was why um, part of the reason why interest rates could be kept on getting cut. And part of that reason is the more inequality you get, um, the more wealth sort of accumulates at, at, at one end um, that that are not going to spend it. They're, they're just going to save it. The richest people tend to you know, give them an extra dollar, it goes in the bank, whereas the poorest people, you give them an extra dollar, it tends to be spent. And so um, you know, I, I think the Labor Party certainly talks about um, uh, about uh, improving the inequality, and and you know they've certainly have they've got a few things that sort of will will reduce the inequality, but they've also got a bunch of pretty big tax cuts coming through, um, which is uh, uh, driving that inequality even further. I mean, historically and idealistically, the Labor Party would be more inclined to to work in that area, but um, after the last election, they're not sure that uh, the electorate is that amenable to voting on. Uh, on these sorts of issues and so uh, I guess trying to get into power it seems to me and then then maybe once they have it they can start thinking about these well, things. I was actually going to make a, comment, a similar comment I mean I mean I think a lot of this um, I think there's a lot of hopeful Labor voters mm -hmm. in terms of saying oh this will this will um, yeah they're just saying this so they get into power and then once they're in they'll, they'll, they'll actually be able to do some of this stuff Look, maybe they will, maybe they no, won't. I just know from what they what they're talking about is, um, you know, from an economic point of view, and, and an investment point of view, none of these things are are, are moving the needle in you know whether you're going to you know you've got one party promising to spend a whole bunch of money on apprenticeships and the other one party promising to spend a whole bunch of money on TAFE, um, you know, it's it's targeting the same bit. Yes, it's a slightly different policy in either way, but. It's, it's not making, it's not moving the needle in terms of in terms of what happened. It's, it's very different to last time where you had one sort of saying we're just going to keep everything the same, and the other one saying no, we're going to make some 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 large um, and potentially productivity boosting um, changes to the tax system. Um, now it's yeah, it's there's pretty much nothing between it. Uh, corruption. So um, look, Labor is going to do more on that. Um, it's hard to say how much more. And I've got a few charts. That's the next few charts on some of the slides because I think there's there's certainly longer term issues in terms of corruption, and, and Australia's sort of been been very much sliding down the rankings. Um, so we'll get, I'll move on to that in a little bit more in a minute. Um, and then climate change. Uh, I think the the biggest positive would be that Labor would probably stop blocking the states, um, but and they, and they do have different targets. They certainly got more ambitious targets, but um, again, we're not talking. We're not, it's not a massive difference. Um, and, and I think a lot of the things that are being driven in terms of the um, 
the amount of uh, the amount of investment into that sector is is generally coming from from uh, private companies, and there's been a lot uh, done by state governments, and really the um, you know, the major factor in terms of from a from a federal perspective is uh, the uh, the lives of large bees sort of blocking or, or, or making making things harder for for um, some of the renewable companies. So I, th- I think labor would stop that, um, but there's not like it's not like they have these policies out there that are are going to dramatically change and are going to be dramatically different to what the libs are doing. So you know, so the net effect of that whole picture is um, there's really not a lot of difference. Um, between them. So, um, but let, let me do the corruption bit first, the soft okay. side. Next slide. Yeah. So the CPI, which is a poorly named, um, <laughs> but it's yeah, sure is. corruption perceptions index. Um, so this is a, this is Australia's corruption uh, perception from uh, 2012 when we were pretty much, you know, one of the top uh, rated countries in the world for um, perception of corruption. And um, now we're, we're well down the list. Um, I think we're level pegging with uh, Hungary, who's got, um, you know, Viktor Orbitan, who's just been voted in and the sort of close friend of Putin and, and um, you know, a, a number of quite serious question marks being raised uh, about his, his, uh, his, his government and what they're doing. So, um, so that's, that's the company we're keeping at the moment. Now, in, in a, you know, it doesn't. Corruption doesn't cost you much at the start, as, as you start becoming more. You know, as you, as you go from a, a country that's that's not perceived as being corrupt um, to, to one that is perceived as being corrupt, is that uh, the initial stages you're still living on the goodwill of yeah, Australia's a good place to do business, and you know, it's, it's open and it's fair, and you know, all that type of stuff. It's a question of when does that when do you reach that line where all of a sudden it becomes oh no this is actually turning into a banana republic or this is turning into you know a, a, you know it's, it's all about mates and and um, and you actually lose that uh, you lose the benefit of of that trust within a system uh, you you look at places like um, you know, a great example is you have an um, uh, you have an earthquake in Japan and. And you know the roads are decimated and all this type of stuff like that, and and you go back six months later and the whole thing's been rebuilt, or or you have uh you know some an earthquake in in Haiti or or somewhere that's quite poor, and you know ten years later and 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 still things there's still roads and, and infrastructure that still hasn't reached back to where it, where it was, and a lot of it is this this idea of trust within a society is that you know there's there's trust of of ownership and there's trust of businesses to be able to to bid on contracts and not have to and to be able to win them fairly and um and so as a big picture um these things matter like when you when you look at them in the long term but uh they sort of don't matter until suddenly they do and so um you know i think in terms of corruption side australia is starting to get to the stage where it's like well at some stage it, this is going to matter and so you know, is that three years away or five years away or 20 years away? Nobody knows, but um, it is worth noting that we're very much slipping down the scale. And you can see that in government trust as well. Before you go on to the next point, Damien, in terms of turning that around, uh, so you don't know when it's going to cause you a problem, but okay, once you decide this is causing a problem and you decide to turn it around, is it a similarly long time that it takes to take change those perceptions? Uh, I think if you, I think from Australia's point now, no, I, I think we could turn it around quite quickly uh, because we've got we've got sort of this longer term view of Australia being quite a, um, you know, ten years ago we certainly weren't thought of as a corrupt place. We were one of the best in the world, um, and so uh, and so from that perspective, yeah, I think that could turn around really quickly. But if it gets to a certain stage where reputational damage gets done, uh, I think there's you know there's certainly places where it's considered um, uh, you know, pick a country like, say, in India or, or China, where I think there's there's pretty broad um, expectation that there is corruption. Is that even if they did improve quite dramatically over a three or four year period, I'd expect it to take decades before people would actually start saying, "Oh, actually, no, you know, yes, it used to be corrupt, but it's not corrupt anymore." Whereas um, Australia's okay. sort of got that opposite problem. Thanks. And that. That sort of goes through into this trust in government side as well. So um, I've got here one here from 2010. Australia is at the dark blue line, um, you know, fourth from the top, and um, you know, trading very much as a uh, citizens within the, the 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 country trusting the government. 
And then if you look at 2020, um, where we're right back, we're right back down into the middle of the pack. So we've fallen um, dramatically from where um, from where we were, uh, you know, 10 years earlier. So look, and again, this is just one of those ones you do, you don't know. It doesn't matter until it does. And so um, I guess from that perspective, um, you know, we are being offered something slightly different. I think um, how different we've got no idea. I mean, certainly, I think um, I think it's safe to say. Uh, well, I don't know. Actually, no, I won't, I won't make any comments on that. Well, I would say there are certainly questions around both sides. Yeah, there are. Um, I don't know if we want to go deeper than that, but um, from an institutional perspective, it does sound like um, Labor want to do more than um, the Liberals have done in the last three years, but. But yes, but yeah, but you know, Libs obviously promised anti-corruption um, coming in and, and never, never got, never got up. So um, yeah, I think there's certainly, um, and and I think though as well, there was certainly a an expect a um, uh, we certainly got a lot of uh, not a lot of accountability. There seemed to be a lot of ministers who um, did things that seemed to be very um, uh, at least walking the line in terms of corruption. Um, but still managed to keep keep their jobs and 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 just keep on going. And I think there was a lot of that. Um, yeah, a lot of it, uh, it has become in, or is becoming institutionalised. Yep. And so um, I guess the the danger there is uh, you you know you quite possibly um, yeah you're looking at it's a lot a slower in the growth. Sorry, I was going to say it's a very interesting contrast to Turnbull, who seemed to be a lot stricter on trying to avoid. The institutionalization of this in quite a short uh, time. Yeah, but well, you know, this is we're going 2010 to 2020 here, so um, you know, he's he's part of that. Uh, yeah, he's part absolutely. of it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And and that corruption's perception index, um, you know, it flatlined for probably a lot of his term, but it's still headed down. Like there wasn't, yeah, a, sure. You know, it's um, improve it. Got it. Yeah, and and you know, part of that's the um, uh, a lot. Well. The, a big, a growing part of that's that the whole housing market, in terms of um, 2001, we had these terrorist events, you know, the, and shortly after that, um, there was there's a whole bunch of anti money laundering things put in place, but we need to stop money laundering and and prevent it from ending up in in the hands of terrorists, and that went through um, a whole bunch of systems, um, you know, the the financial markets went through it, and uh, accountants, and you know, all these people went through this whole. Um, banks all went through the how do how do we stop money laundering? Um, the Australian property sector um, they they set up the what they were going to do and then they then they delayed it and then they delayed it and then they de and every year there's a there's a new you know every time they go oh we just need to have one more look at it and so now it's it's pretty well um, it, it it's one of the keys key spots for for money laundering in the world is the Australian house Australian property uh, market wow. and that's the type of stuff where you know we've had twenty years. Well, close to twenty years of, of just delay and, and waiting and and not putting it in, um, that just grows and, and eventually you get a reputation. You know, you want to launder money. Well, the Australian property market is, is a good place to do it. So, um, so tax arbitrage. So, I mean, this is usually where you you know one of the the things that most people look at. They look at okay, what's in it for me? <laughs> it's basically the the idea is that, and, and last election there was there was a lot of tax arbitrage. You know, depending upon what you're doing, if you're relying on franking credits, absolutely vote Labor. Uh, sorry, vote Liberals and and don't vote Labor, or or relying on negative gearing, or you know you were you're a, just an ordinary person paying your tax, then then you're sort of saying, well, it's better for me to vote Labor because um, you know people have with trusts and franking credits and and negative gearing are going to pay more tax, and 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 you'll end up paying less tax. This time around. Um, it's pretty hard to tell. Like, there's a if there's kids, if you've got kids, there's there's a childcare arbitrage. But basically, you know, so if you're if but you're young um, kids only, right? Young kids, yeah, yeah. So if you if you're a high earner with young kids, um, you you'll do better with um the liberals. Um, if you're a low earner and you've got kids, you'll you'll do better with Labor. And you know, at some point, there's in the middle. But it's very hard to tell the difference between anything else. Any everything else just seems to be um. Um, pretty much the same. I mean, maybe if you're depending upon your um, family trust and and a few sort of um, uh, let's just say uh, weirder structures in in terms of getting lower tax rates, then um, I'd say you and, and that really matters to you. Then then you probably should be voting libs. But um, you know, it's only been 
broad motherhood type of statements from from Labor about saying what they're going to do there. So you know, it's it's hard hard to tell if there's there's any real change. So so really, the, I mean, the what's in it for me is is um, there's very little difference between the two. So um, question of the week. We're going to move to that one, and then we've got a few answer questions. Then we'll do the investment impact of. All right. What would be the investment impact of a Labor government? Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, sorry, Holly, you. Oh, no. Okay. Uh, well, uh, as as each week when we have our viewer question of the week, we'd love to hear your thoughts um, in uh, the YouTube chat. You can put them, um, or even if you'd like to send them into us, uh, have a chat amongst yourselves, and uh, we look forward to hearing what you think. Right. Now, uh, investor questions. Um, I'm not sure if we've got. There's lots of, lots of comments. I'm just trying to dig out a few questions here. I haven't here. seen any yet, but I might have missed some at the start. Yeah. I mean, I guess one of the things, obviously, we should say is uh, anyone who can get better uh, better internet connections. Um, Please get in touch. <laughs> I am really close to Melbourne CBD, but you know, it's it's it's, it's, a, it's a little bit embarrassing. Sorry about that, everyone. Um, there's, uh, no, I think there's, there's lots of comments, but I don't think we've got a lot of questions there. Um, maybe do a last call for questions and, uh, if any come up while you're talking through the implications, we can circle back. Yeah. Yep. Sounds like a good idea. Right. So the investment implications look, <laughs> and, uh, there's, there's not a lot. Um, I, mean, I think that the main thing to think about is that, you know, Australia is a small open economy really dependent upon world growth. So. Um, I think the main thing, the main uh, message that I wanted to get out of that whole history and the background that I did on in terms of um, the Australian economy is a lot of the time um, the the politicians are a passenger, just sort of what's happening, how am I going to react, you know, uh, world growth slowing, world growth speeding up, um, you know, what can I claim credit for, what do I have to deflect blame for, you know, it's it's really hasn't, um, if you're in that position, um, it is more difficult to, to sort of drive things in a particular direction. It's certainly possible, um, you know, through reform and 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 targeting particular sectors or, or tax breaks or whatever it is, there's, there's certainly lots of things um, they can do, um, but for the last sort of 15, 20 years, uh, they, they basically have, have, have decided not to. And, and both parties, this is from both major parties. So, um, you know, and I guess the question is, what would happen if there was a, um, uh, a hung parliament so that we got a lot of these, uh, a lot of the independents that, that are sort of looking at knocking off a few um, liberal seats? What would happen if they sort of held the balance of power? Well, I think certainly the we'd get more done on the renewable side than, um, uh, and, and so sort of the energy sector would certainly be um, something that's that's sort of ripe for um, ripe for reform. Uh, but X that, um, you know, I think it'd be very difficult to, to um, oh sorry, and the corruption side, and I think on the corruption side, you'd certainly get a lot, a lot more done um, if they get the balance of power. Um, but x that, I think it's hard to see how um, there's it. There's you can see any any major reform in this next sort of three year period. I mean, I think the the best hope for people who are looking for reform is that um, you get either a hung parliament or a, or, or a labour driven parliament, and um, and they they and that labour uses this to to create their next stage of reform i think if you do get a liberal government again um it's probably a uh a a stamp of success on on the no reform policy and and they'll probably just you know stick with 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 being a passenger and and sort of managing the economy um from a uh you know from a, from a day-to-day -day basis without really having sort of a, a driving force about what's going to um you know how, how they're going to try and shape it um, so if you do think it's going to be a return to this sort of 2015 to 2020 that we saw, so so trying to push inflation, um, trying to uh, it's trying to push inflation, trying to just hold everything together, not not you know keep enough government spending that things don't fall apart, um, but not so much that that interest rates have to rise too much, then we're looking at this sort of buy bonds, buy international mainly, um, in terms of saying look. You can't see that. You can't see it. Um, the performance within Australia, you know, really is a matter of, of working out what's happening in the world economy. And if you think the world economy is going well, then 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 you know there's an argument to, to get in and buy Australia. Um, but if you think the world economy is starting to slow, heading for recession, as we we sort of you know put out our six six uh, uh, leaders six indicators of a recession out last week, 
um, then you know the idea is getting your money uh, into something that's that's not exposed to the Australian stock market um, or not as exposed, and, and really uh, international is uh, equities are one of the bigger ones, but also looking at, at, at bonds with a view that, look, there'll be the right time to buy Australia again, but um, generally it's not when you think the cycle's peaked and, and coming down, it's when you think that the cycle's getting close to the bottom rather than um, rather than close to the top. Anyway, I might leave it at that unless... Uh, I have, uh, the, I don't, can't see any questions that have come in as you've gone through that, but uh, we have a little bit more time, so I was wondering if you might indulge you on a, on a couple of points. So uh, first one, a shorter one, I noticed your last point there is uh, if you think this is a Dawn of I thought I've got Mary. That's right. And I was um, like, almost fell out of my seat because I hadn't seen that line until right now. Well, I, I don't know. I have. I, I think I wrote that, and I was like, well, I don't know. I haven't really thought saying, about it that way. But actually, not, I don't. I have. You're on your own. You're on your own. In that sense, I don't think you believe that we. That's a, a very high probability, and so no, that's right. Yeah, so I do you're, have a question for anyone who does listen to this podcast. If you do think we're at the dawn of a golden era, I would love to hear from you because uh, uh, I just I can't see how, how it could work. And I'd love to have a bit of optimism right now. So um, if you do have that, please get in touch with us on the YouTube channel or yeah. contact at nucleuswealth.com. Uh, I'd, I'd love to hear I mean, your thoughts. I mean, I can certainly give you a scenario for it. And, and look, there sure. is, I mean, there, there are some scenarios that we could, you could give us a golden era for the next three years. Um, so the scenario would be, uh, so China's in lockdown at the moment and um, they've, they're basically, they've got these three red lines that, that they're, they're pulling back on their property sector to try and limit the, the amount of commodities and that they turn around and say, you know what, stuff it. We're, it's somebody else, you know, we'll worry about it in the next five years. We're going to spend as much as we can and, and we're going to rebirth, rebirth our property boom and um, that's what's going to drive, um, you know, drive us out of the pandemic downturn. So if China decides to do that, then um, it's yeah, happy days for Australia. Um, energy prices are headed up. Though, because, um, yeah, that's really exciting short term, but all it's doing is kicking the can down the road. Oh, absolutely. Terrible policy. Serious just, structural issues. So, yeah, terrible policy. But um, it doesn't make but, me feel excited. But, but I mean, you, you can make that statement every ever since 2011, that was the wrong thing to do. And they kept on, they've yeah, had sure. three or four goes at it. Um, they do seem very, very serious this time. And we, and we keep writing about, you know, that the thousand and one small things they're doing that that but none of them are the big one which is you know the, those three red lines and just just throwing as much um uh credit into that property sector as they can so yeah so that, that's your best hope um and obviously there's um you know there's that so your best hope is that mixed with sort of sanctions and in in um in russia continuing and, and australia having you know having gas having oil having uh, wheat and, and things like that to, to ship. Um, uh, potentially, you get a big uh, big spending in Europe at the same time. So you get sort of a you know, massive spending in Europe. Maybe you know, re, you know things slow down enough in the US, you get some sort of infrastructure plan through and, and, and off you go for world growth. But um, I just don't, yeah. That so do you think like that it. Europe might stimulate in reaction to um, energy prices? They're absolutely going to stimulate. Um, okay. The issue we've got with it is... Uh, is just capacity wise and speed, speed and capacity. So um, there's, uh, you know, in, in, in our sort of investment view in terms of what's happened in terms of energy over the last few months is that energy has gone from, um, there's this sort of medium term um, sort of need for gas and, and renewables are sort of gradually going to tick up and, and we'll sort of, you know, there'll be this slow transition across um, until the economics get better and then maybe things will speed up. Um, I think that's out the door now. Uh, the economics have suddenly got way better because gas prices have gone so high. And even with gas prices fall back, um, the, the prior highs are in everyone's head. And so, and, and so um, Europe is now desperate to, to, to wean themselves off Russian gas. It's going to take a while to get there, a considerable period of time. But um, it's gone from a, yes, we'd like to do this. Yeah, we should get around to it sometime. And, and gradually work to it to now this is a major imperative you know as fast as possible we need to we need to move across and so um you know i guess um you know from all the horrors and that's sort of been inflicted upon the world by and and the the problems in the ukraine is that uh, i do think this is this has sped up um the switch to renewable energies by 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 years by yeah if not you know if yep. not a decade or so 
So, um, huge. Mm, um, right. we have a question. What is the first thing to do um, to address the Dutch disease? Thank you, Robert Mayer, for your question and your comments throughout the day. Ah, uh, yeah. So, so Dutch disease. Look, um, yeah, what you'd want is uh, some sort of uh, some sort of fund. So, similar, Norway's sort of showing exactly what you do is you, you set yourself up a, a, a government fund. Um, you tax first. You tax them properly, and then you take the money from that and you stick it in. You stick it offshore. So that the Australian dollar doesn't push up too high. Um, so while the commodity booms on, and then as the commodity boom fades, then you start bringing the money back and you, you spend it on you know education and and improving. Um, uh, yeah. So basically, what you what you don't want to do is take all these the, these rivers of gold from from a commodity boom and then pour it back into tax cuts and and juice the rest of the. You get everyone spending all this money as well. Exactly. You don't want to do what we did last time. You want to get that money away from. Um, yeah, get it offshore. Let keep keep the rest of the economy alive, and then start to start to filter back in. So, um, I mean, there's there's a pretty reasonable argument now that um, uh, iron ore is certainly that, the, or iron ore and coal and gas, they're all at levels which are are not sustainable, um, and we should be taking you know the extra revenues we're getting from those and 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 putting that into some sort of sovereign wealth fund. Um, to, to keep the you know keep the Aussie dollar lower and keep the the rest of the economy um, going the way it is and and then yeah bring that back later. All right, um, we're not really getting there on time, but I did actually want to sort of like as a you know a, a little bit extra uh, to the podcast. We were having an interesting discussion this morning when you're talking about um, this balance of power and how that was really the number one thing that you wanted to see to. Um, in terms of, uh, I guess, uh, um, oh, uh, I've gone blank on the word now, um, you know, uh, policy reform. Um, and so, I mean, w would you indulge us a little bit by sharing a bit more of your thoughts in that aspect? Oh, uh, look, I think, yeah, I, I guess what it is is that uh, the, the tough thing from this, the really tough thing from this election is if the Libs get voted back in again, it will be a huge stamp for them saying, Hey, just keep things the same and just try and keep, you know, it's it's now it's now an endorsement of the policy to just try and stay in power and just not do anything, you know, do, do as little as possible and just try and stay in power. Um, if Labor gets in, it's an endorsement of don't try and do any reform, just try and just 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 be just be a small target and, and use that to get into power. Now, I, I guess that's why you know my my hope is that um, you know, you, you get something where you get a, a balance of power held by some of these independents and and people who actually have a plan on trying to do things firstly because i think they will push through some um changes to um to climate policy then i think they'll also push through some changes or they'll stop the impediments and and they would also push through um some anti-corruption ones which i think are both extremely important um but hopefully as well that would also send a message to the other two parties that um the two main parties that okay maybe next time we actually need to have some sort of plan for the country and something we want to do rather than just, you know, be in power. So, um, yeah. Right, yeah. Right. So I guess from my perspective, um, I, I'd, I'd be worried if it was a labor landslide, I'd be worried because it's a, it's a, it's then basically saying to them, please don't have any policies anymore. You, know, <laughs> you tried to have, you tried to have policies for Bill Shorten and you lost. And so, and now you didn't have any policies. And so, or you basically were, were, you know, Liberal policies minus one minus or one percent or plus one percent, and you got a landslide victory. Therefore, that that should be what you do forevermore. And and same for libs. If the libs get back in from here, it will be um, uh, yeah, the same thing. So, hung parliament, you know, All and right. hopefully that hopefully it means next time around we might get some 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 policies and some some changes. Yeah, but so for but keep in mind that that investment implications you know really means um. Uh, we're, we're dependent upon what the rest of the world's doing. I guess that's the main one I want to push back to yeah. that investment implications is there's so little happening on, on our domestic policy front that it's, it depends upon yeah, world growth. Okay, thank you. So we might wrap it up there. Uh, Damien, as always, thank you for sharing your thoughts today. I know I got a lot out of it. hope the listeners did as well. And to the listeners, thank you so much for helping us through our technical troubles. We uh, greatly appreciate it. Uh, okay, so um, 
feel free to, uh, as we said earlier, post any thoughts you have uh, on the question of the week or, or the episode uh, in the various channels. Um, and we also welcome any feedback you have uh, on the podcast, especially in regards to suggestions for future topics. So if you have any ideas, please, you can send them through to us, uh, YouTube comments or uh, email us at contact at nucleuswealth.com. And just to remind that this is general advice and does not take into account your personal situation. Uh, so if you would like to discuss your personal financial situation, you can do so by giving us a call. Uh, you can find our number at nucleuswealth.com or you can also book a call there with uh, Sam Kerr, uh, our senior financial advisor, uh, or give us a call directly and chat to Eileen. Uh, if you liked the video, don't forget to give it a like so you can help the show grow. And uh, if you'd like to see previous episodes, you can do so uh, on YouTube or at nucleuswealth.com forward slash content. And um, uh, that's it for myself, Damien, and the rest of the team at Nucleus Wealth. Thanks for watching and we look forward to seeing you next time.